Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. In this episode of Security and Co, you will hear about excessive drinking. If you're affected by what you have heard, please do check out drinkaware.co.uk. Secure the Insecure with Johnny Seafit is sponsored by Jennings and Co-Financial Planning, helping to make sense of money. And welcome to Secure the Insecure, the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seifert, and every week I'm joined by one very special guest. Best known for his bass career in the classic rock industry, having played with White Snake, Thin Lizzy, The Dead Daisies, Black Star Riders, the list goes on, as well as having his own solo projects, Marco Mendoza joins me on Secure Insecure from Mexico to talk about his 30th anniversary of his sobriety to alcohol. So Marco, thank you so much for joining me. Let's go back to the beginning of your story. How are you, Johnny? Well, first of all, thanks, thanks so much for having me and every opportunity I have to share my experience, strength and hope about sobriety and as we all want to know. Right now, things are going crazy, and so there's been the numbers, suicide attempts and uh, drug abuse, opiates in particular, with the young folks is out of hand, you know, it's, it's insane. And I have kids, I have, I have a big family. We try to keep them on the street and narrow. I was a product of bilingual, bicultural parents. Both my parents, my father and my mother, were uh, Mexican-American, and they had uh, dual citizenship. Back when California and parts of Texas and Arizona and uh, Utah used to belong to Mexico. If you do a little bit of history, you'll find out what happened. So I grew up, as soon as I got out of the hospital, we went south of the border. I was born in San Diego, California, Southern California, and we went across the border when I was a few days old, and I grew up in Tijuana. I really want to say that the big influence I grew up in, in, like a lot of families in Mexico, man, everybody's musical. We celebrate life with the, you know, everybody plays an instrument, sings. In my family, we have some amazing singers. And so I grew up around that. When my parents uh, decided to split up, my grandmother, my father's mom, came from Mexico City to kind of help and moved in with us because uh, my father was really busy. He was working in the U.S., so he would drive back and forth every day, which is, wow, unheard of now. But he did it. He asked my, my his mom my grandma to come help. And so she, when she came to live with us from Mexico City, she brought a big piano. That was the biggest influence I had at home because she was pretty much our mom for the longest time. She took over and uh, just an amazing woman in every possible way. Bit of a renaissance in that she was always ahead of herself. Scholastically, she would just help so much and very disciplined, old school with the ruler. You know what I mean? 
So she was the love of my life. She still is and, and uh, can't give her enough credit because she came over and just took care of us. My brother Carlos, who just passed away recently, and my sister Linda and myself, when she brought the, the piano, she wanted us to pursue the music thing. And so I started appreciating music from her point of view, which is she was on the classical side. And then she started teaching. So she had any, at any given moment, like 10 to 20 students she would teach. So they'd come in and all that. And so I started hearing the lessons and I'd get on the piano and I was, I'm told that I had a great ear in that I would hear a melody and just get on the piano and, and play. The problem with the piano and my grandma, like I said earlier, is that she was very old school, ruled by, uh, you, you know, uh, old school discipline methods. Sometimes not good for a kid, you know, you freak out. If I play the wrong note on the piano, I'd get a ruler across my hand, you know, stop. <laughs> It started kind of throwing me away, started walking away from the piano, but I learned enough, uh, you know, simple stuff. I didn't go into the heaviest stuff, but my sister, who was a few years younger, now she's older than me. She was young enough and innocent enough that she would take it all. And she was amazing and still is very musical. She's got it in her blood, you know, DNA. And she started pursuing the classical thing until it got to the point where she got old enough and she didn't want to deal with the discipline. Pursuing a classical career in any art form is, as you can imagine, is very grueling, very disciplined. And if you're a kid, man, you want to be out there playing with the kids and not putting hours and hours in and hours out, you know, doing that. So after a while, she kind of got away from it. But anyway, my point back to the story, after the piano, my brother was also, who was older, into music. We started listening to music and all that. And he got a guitar, an acoustic guitar. After a few months, you know, he dabbled in it. And then after a few months, he just, the guitar was just hanging out, gathering dust. And so I would grab it on my own time, at my own pace, my own rhythm. I would grab it and then go hide myself in a little corner away from everybody. And the advantage of a guitar, acoustic guitar, even not, not even an electric one, was that I could go anywhere and hide myself and not be embarrassed about the mistakes and all that. So I had a book, the Mel Bay book of guitar chords, thousands of guitar chords, and I started learning. I realized after learning three or four chords that I could play a lot of songs because we started listening to the English invasion in those days. It was, for me, it was, you know, the Beatles was the biggest influence. I had my, my, my dad got us Abbey Road. That was the first album. One of my heroes to this day is Paul McCartney. And I have friends playing with him now. It's a trip. John Lennon and George, just the Beatles in general, they just impact me and my brother in a, such a big way. After that, they opened the door. It was Pandora's box and uh, started getting to the rest of the, uh, the invasion from the UK, you know, which is great. But the guitar... Back to the guitar. I started doing that, and uh, all of a sudden, my dad saw interest, and he he put a little room together for us to practice in, kind of soundproofed it a little bit. That's my dad. He was at one of those cats, you know, that that just wanted to support us. And so then my brother decided to play drums. Uh, he kind of had an affinity for that. He was a great drummer and started playing drums. I was playing guitar. We found two other brothers that play other guitar, sang, and a bass player. And that was our little introduction to to play in a band, garage band. And later on, I, I transferred to bass. That's another story. But what I want to say is growing up in that environment in Tijuana, uh, I don't know if you're familiar, but Tijuana has become one of the biggest spots for, for the cartels from South America mm. and Mexico. Tijuana is um, the connection between South America, Mexico, uh, the drug industry, 
transferring into the US. That was a big border crossing right there through the ocean, the Pacific and the border. So as we started getting older, I want to say 12, 11, 12, 13, um, I, was hide, you know, I was hanging out with other musicians, garage band musicians, but they were older than me, two, three, four years older. And they for what were they were f more advanced in the drinking and the smoking weed and uh, you know they they were taking the pot if you know what I mean. Later on, progressed into the heavier drugs because it was abundant. It was just part of who we were. So that became part of it for the longest time. I uh, I remember my my first time I got drunk. I got deathly sick for days. It was tequila, I think, tequila and beer with beer chases. And I was 12, you know, little kid, man, 12 or 13. I just crashed. But I noticed that it was part of me belonging to something. And I had a lot of issues coming up from a broken home, dysfunctional home, uh, divorced parents. There was a lot of freaky stuff going on that I was very withdrawn from the normal things that, that kids do. And the way to medicate, I found out, was to drink. No matter how sick I used to get, it was like, all right, I'm not happy with myself. I'm very insecure. I was very insecure and very, uh, I had a problem dealing with things. Very insecure, and I was wound up in the head. You know, I'm like the poster child for dyslexia and ADD, all that stuff. I had all of them still. When I used to uh, drink, it made me feel, it gave me instant courage, if you, wanna, if you know what I mean put me in that spot where life all of a sudden didn't matter as much. So I started medicating with alcohol later on. It was weed, of course. And then I'm definitely one of those people that got into the train, you know, chasing the, the dragon, because the more I took, whether it be alcohol pills or, or pot, the more I took, the less I was being affected. I was building a tolerance and it was very obvious to me I was building a tolerance. I needed to medicate myself. So the progression was pretty normal for me. We would work on everything, you know, gardening, carpenting, anything that we needed to be built and fixed around the house. She was one of those women and we would plant our gardens and we had all kinds of fruit and then we had the piano and uh, math. She was amazing with math and 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 school, you know, scholastics. And, uh, but that's one thing that she was not familiar or hip to in that, because she was older, obviously a bit older. And, uh, so we could uh, run circles around her. And so my dad would go to work every morning at five and 5 AM. And then he wouldn't come back until five or 6 PM every day, five, six days a week. So he wasn't around grandma was around and, uh, all of a sudden, you know, we found my brother and I could get away with a lot of stuff. So it was prominent. I mean, we actually planted some some weed plants. I think we had like a bunch, like 35 of them or whatever. Just to say, those listening, yeah. do not try that at home. You know, it's it's part of your story. But just so my listeners know, it, don't do it, basically. Bottom line, I had a lot of issues personality and psychological, emotional, spiritually. We were going to church, but I was I started disconnected as I started getting older. And I also started getting into the music industry. Even though it was a garage band level, there was a, a big presence of let's drink a couple of beers before we play kind of thing. You know well, being the lad. Being uh, the lad and having, you know, the boy time in the garage where no one knows what you're getting up to and you're experimenting and you're learning about yourself. You're learning about your friends and 
you know, you're doing it to almost, as you said before, peer pressure to fit in. This is part of being a rock star. You're living the rock star life. Yeah, even though at that level, and it was very, I mean, that was a, a beginner level, but but yeah, exactly. You do things, you know, I think it's very prominent these days. Uh, like I say, I, I live in, in Southern California and I see it all around me. Uh, peer pressure is a big factor and it's more more prominent now, now that I have, by the way, September 20th coming around here soon. I will celebrate 33 years of sobriety. But if you're listening to this, if you have any issues with uh, consumption of any mind-altering stuff, there is a place and there's a lot of help for you available. Uh, and uh, I get a lot. My reward is that I get to share my 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 story, my experience, strength, and hope. Uh, and that's part of it. I mean, that's where I came. That was a transition. I've been able to stay sober for 33 years by the grace of God first and also by sharing my story, you know? Uh, and uh, so that's what it was. Slowly, what I wanted to say is the transition from alcohol to to uh, weed was very fast. It was within months, I believe, because I was chasing the better high. Once I discovered that I could medicate myself, whatever issues I had, you know, if I felt incompetent in any way or insecure and very awkward, like it was me, I had freckles, I had buck teeth, and and my brother was a good-looking cat. He was very secure of himself, and but he went through the same transition. He passed away recently because of it. But the transition from you know alcohol to pot to pills to hallucinogenics, I ended up with my drug of choice, which is heroin and cocaine. I had everything available that you can imagine living in Mexico, and then I came, I came to California to do high school. And so now I became very popular in that I could supply, you know, and in those days, there was a lot of drug use going on, a lot. And were you supplying for money or for self-validation that it gave you a purpose? The guy whose brother got all the attention and now suddenly you're the guy who has the drugs. This is going to give me some self-worth and my own attention now. I felt like there was a, a purpose all of a sudden. Up to that point, like I, I've said it a few times already, I was very insecure, very awkward. Like, a, you know, the, the freckled kid that was, I was dyslexic, ADD, I was spinning. All the characteristics of, of somebody in trouble. But somehow I dealt with it. And drugs allowed me to find instant courage and it kind of focused me put me in a place where I could be a little more uh, centered, you know? Uh, and to this day, I, I believe that's what they use for kids that are that have those issues, you know? They, they medicate with speed. That's what it was, but the money was definitely a factor, I have to say, I, you know? All of a sudden, I had a few extra bucks. I used to come and stay with my aunt in uh, Chula Vista, which is a little city uh, on the U.S. side in the border town. I'd grab whatever money I had and I would buy hallucinogenics. In those days, LSD and peyote and uh, mescaline were very popular. So I'd buy them for nothing in the U.S. I'd bring them down to Tijuana and amongst my musician friends. And there was a lot of surfing back in those days, like there is still this, these days. But in that those groups, it's a circus of people, they used to love to take it and go surfing. Imagine that, man. Uh, so then I would sell that and then bring money across the border. And I, I would, no, I mean, I would use some money to buy uh, uh, Benny's, Benson Trim, Speed. All of a sudden, the music thing started picking up. 
you know, so the more I played music, the more I had to drink and be under the influence because I couldn't deal. Uh, like I said, it was instant courage. It was part of the process. We had a thing within ourselves, the little band. At some point, I started playing bass, and I discovered that I had an affinity for bass playing and singing because it was, I had that type of brain that could divide it. I could divide my brain and uh, and do that. And to this day, people ask me, how do you do it? And I, I don't know. You know, I just, playing guitars became, I kind of got better on the guitar, but the singing and the playing bass became a challenge. Now it became every weekend, I'm like uh, taking something or another. And the band started picking up. We started playing better, better gigs. Uh, and as the process would have, I got uh, recruited by a bigger band and we went on the road. Boom. So now I'm uh, 15, 16 years old at this point, And I'm out there with a big national uh, act touring in Mexico and uh, and everything that comes with it, if you can imagine, the lifestyle. Now all of a sudden I'm I'm, I'm stepping into the, the touring band waters and, uh, you know, there's no... Uh, schedules, no nothing, there's no parents, there's nobody to, uh, no manual to kind of explain to you things to do and things not to do. Stay away from this, stay away from that. I got in, I was young, uh, uh, having a little bit of success. I was feeling a little bit important and the medication started getting heavier and heavier and heavier and everything was available by the promoters, by fans, by other band members. And so I started getting into uh, and I still, I still one of those, I have one of those obsessive compulsive personalities, you know, I have to watch it. Everything that I do, I do to an extreme. I realized also that I could use that when I got sober, that I could use that uh, obsessive compulsive behavior to do something positive, build something uh, creative and uh, uh, productive. So that's one thing that I, I got to say, you know, part of uh, the success that I've had in the music business has been that, that when I set my mind into doing something, I can be very obsessive and compulsive about it to the point where I start getting results, you know. Unbeknownst to me, you know, when I was under the influence, I was only 50% there, 40%. Uh, when I got sober, I realized that I had more potential. So the process happened. I'm traveling, touring, playing big shows. Everything's around. I, I meet my first wife and we get married. Uh, we have two kids. All of a sudden, at this point, I'm 17 or 18 years old. I'm overwhelmed. Life has gotten to the point where it's just running. I'm just pretty much just handling life the best I can. Uh, what do you know about life? What do you know about being a parent or a husband or a father or, or whatever? It's a big haze. You know, I was, I was in that cloud, man, of confusion in every possible way. The work ended in Mexico and I came to the States. I came to California. Somebody called me from up here to start working. And the rest is history, you know, the, the process of getting recruited by a bigger artist, bigger band, bigger producers and all that, that started back then. But all along, you know, uh, this disease is very insidious and it's very, it's that vicious circle where the more you, the more you take, the more you build tol tolerance to it and the more you need, you know. So I, again, I started getting into some, some heavier levels of dealing, never ending. So my habit, my heroin and cocaine use got to the point where it was so extreme that it kind of ruled my lifestyle. And in my mid-20s, I want to make the focus about drug use, drug use and abuse and not the music. In my mid-20s, I hit a bottom that it was, that was so bad. I was out of control. I was so far gone that, I mean, to the point where I can't imagine every morning, I would get up in the morning and I would have 
my syringe with heroin and cocaine ready to go in the morning with a cigarette. That was part of my process. I couldn't face life in any level, at any level, or function at any level without medicating myself first. I was that far gone. Uh, and I was trying to figure out I help, when I do interviews and talk about sobriety and drug abuse, I think I was at the point where I was doing anywhere between two to $300 a day just to survive, just to medicate yourself and get you to a place where you're somewhat normal and functional. Because that's the same thing that was happening, Johnny. I was medicating myself, but I was being semi-productive. I was a functional drug addict and alcoholic. I would do some work, make some money, pay my bills, you know, and I had, remember I was married, I had two kids. My first wife woke up one day and said, I, I can't, I cannot have my kids grow up in this environment. She left, left me overnight, boom, gone, took my kids. And so that kind of also pushed me further down into the hole that was getting darker and darker and deeper every day. And it becomes, you know, you're, you basically, you get to a point where you're out of control. You can't, uh, you can't, uh, I couldn't figure it out. In my mind, I thought, well, I'm, I am medicated and I have a problem, big problem, but I'm still working. I'm being somewhat productive. And, and in those days, I, I came to LA and I was getting, I was getting some great calls, you know, it was, I remember auditioning. I was at a level where I was getting a lot of attention. I had something to offer, obviously, talent-wise. I remember auditioning for people like Cher and Lionel Richie, you know, walking in the room and, and playing with those cats. And amazing. I mean, this is when Cher and Lionel Richie was, he was selling millions and millions and millions of albums worldwide. And he was just such a big, he was having hit after hit after hit after hit, you know. And, and then Cher, of course, I remember they needed somebody to play bass and sing with her. But all along, back to the focus here, which is all along, I remember doing these interviews and these auditions. I remember going to the bathroom and medicating myself so that I could get up on stage and pull it off. Pretty bad, man. Pretty sad now that I, in retrospect, I, when I talk about it, I'm like, can't imagine doing that or living like that. Because I was pretty much just existing, you know? There was no emotional, I was, wasn't engaged in any way. Emotionally, I, I was gone. Physically, I'm sure I have pictures of back when, when I looked like, you know, I'm 180, 190 pounds now. Back then I was in 140, 45, 50 pounds. Skeletor, you know? So I looked pretty bad, uh, but somehow I, I functioned. All along, uh, and it's hard for me to say, all along things got so bad. You get to the point, and for anybody that's listening uh, that could identify with this, you get to the point where you know that there's a better way of, of living your life. And as you can imagine, I'm in these circles with big talent, huge, massive, global talent. And I'm running in these circles and I'm getting you know, invited to be part of this, be part of that. But in my heart, you know, and in my mind, my spiritually, I was bankrupt. Uh, psychologically, I was barely functioning. Physically, I was beat up as well. But spiritually, that was the thing that brought me back, my connection with my God, with my power, my higher power. That's the thing that saved, saved me, to be honest. So, um, so I got to the point where I felt really it's a self-esteem, what I started saying, it's a self-esteem issue. When you feel really bad about yourself internally, you need to medicate when you get to that point. So I kept doing that. It was medication, medication, medication. And like I said, at that point, it was heroin, opiates, 
which couldn't be worse. That's the worst drug on the planet. And these days it's just rampant, man. It's running. So um, you get to the point where you're so beat up, your self-esteem is so bad that you get, life gets a little rough, a little tough, and you want to bail. So I had a lot of overdoses. I had a few suicide attempts, ending up in mental wards and emergency rooms and all that was par for the course for me in those days. Getting busted, getting thrown in jail, you know, two, three times a month, it was part of the part of the process. So you can imagine that the insanity of it all. I got to the point in my late twenties where it was out of control. Drug abuse had taken over completely. I ran out of, obviously, when you get that bad and so that far gone, the people in the your work situation, people don't want to have anything to do with you because it's so obvious that you have a big problem. Uh, anybody that would approach me to kind of deal with my issues, I wasn't ready to hear it. So I'd run away and go deeper into the hole, you know. I started losing work. I started losing gigs because I would get the calls and I would show up either late, unprepared, you know, not out in the middle of the set, just ridiculous stuff, you know. And uh, so as work uh, started getting less and less and less, I started finding ways to, to provide for my drug abuse and I started dealing more and more. And uh, it, it got like that. So I got to the point for like year and a half, two years that I wasn't even playing any music at all. I was pretty much just existing and uh, my drug drug use had, had come out of control and that's all I was doing. Like I said earlier, I would wake up in the morning, medicate, and my whole existence was about how can I get more? How can I be, you know, how can I have drugs tomorrow and the week after and the week after and the month after? It was all about hustling to get uh, more and making sure I was okay, you know? So it's pretty pretty bad. I know there's people out there that can identify with that. But I'll tell you this, Charlie. When I started realizing, it's a long, long, long process, but when I started realizing how bad it was, that was the beginning of the seed. You know, I remember going to, I had a friend of mine that had, who finally got to the point, very talented cat. He got to the point where his, his drug of choice was alcohol. He got to the point where he wanted to get sober. And he called, he said, Michael, I'm going to, this place, it's called Alcoholics Anonymous. Somebody told me that I could go there and, and try to reach out and try to get help. And can you come with me, man? I don't know what to do. I'm a little nervous. And I said, of course, I'll come with you. I, I fixed myself. I made sure I was all medicated just to get me through five, six, seven hours. And I went to the, to the AA meeting with him. And I remember, man, people sharing, telling their story. And I could identify. I could identify in such a big way, but internally, only internally, I could say, whoa, that sounds like my story. And then another person would get up and share, and I'm so, and I'm telling myself, wow, that's my story as well. And that's my story, and I identify with that, and that sounds like me. Da, 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 da. The meeting ended, we left, and I was happy that I was be able that I was able to be there for my friend, you know. I'm a firm believer that I needed to go through everything to appreciate and to be where I'm at today. And I have to say, I'm not, I have so much work to do. <laughs> I'm not even close to being normal, 
but I have a different view, you know, and I'm very grateful. My better days consist of me being uh, grateful for where I am and where I've been and, and where I want to go when I'm focused like that. That was the seed that was planted. The AA meeting was the seed that was planted. And come to find out the years, and you'd think that it would sink in, and I'd say, okay, I got to stop this. This is insane. Let me go look for help. But it continued, and it continued to the point where I choose to say, it was, I had divine intervention in my life and that God said, all right, you can't help yourself. We've tried everything, your family, your friends trying to wake you up, you know, and you're not waking up. So I'm going to get you busted and get thrown in jail. And that's exactly what happened. Things got so, I mean, I could get into details, but let's just say I was doing a lot of naughty things with everything you can imagine. So I started getting into a lot of trouble. I ended up in jail and I was kind of forced to look at my, my life and uh, realized that I had a gift, you know, the music, the whole thing was such a gift and I was totally abusing it. And so that's what happened. I remember being in jail. I was getting in front of the judge the next morning and I was facing, the details don't matter. I was facing 15 years in the penitentiary, you know, uh, here in Southern California. So I finally got on my knees, man, I started praying and I broke, broke down like a little kid, like a little girl and just asked for help. And that's when my life changed. That was the definitive moment when, and I know I need to work on a lot of things, but all I asked for is just allow me, please God, allow me to freaking get sober. Whatever I need to do and deal with life is fine. I just don't want to be under the influence of anything. And as I'm saying that, I'm, I'm having a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, there, so there you go, you know, but let's just say that I got enough sobriety. I got one month and I'm going, wow, my life started happening before me i started waking up my sense of smell my sense of taste physically uh spiritually emotionally psychologically i started growing you've done amazing i'm gonna quick it up marco for you uh, yes. because you yes. have completely turned your life around you've got more music yes. coming out now tell us quickly about the new music because this is what i ultimately want to hear i'm a massive fan of yours so tell me about what you've got coming out thank you jenny so i have an album that's been out there since 2018 because of my commitment to the Dead Daisies, and that was priority number one, I really didn't pay a lot of attention to my solo career. But let's just say when the album came out in February of 18, my solo, Viva La Rock, it's called. You can go look for it everywhere. It's available everywhere. The Dead Daisies album came out two months later, and then we went off touring with the Dead Daisies, and that, that was my focus. And then I realized that I was getting a lot of response from my solo album, and I'm going, oh, cool. Um, let's pay attention to this. So I did. To my uh, surprise, man, I was getting invited here and there, here and there, and all of a sudden, boom, I'm touring. I've got a little band. I got playing with great players all up from the UK, from Denmark, from, from Italy, and I'm having a blast. So that's become my focus now. I realized that before I get any older and my career kind of like starts fading, uh, that I, that's something I really wanted to do, Play, you know, write my own songs, sing my own songs. And it's been really welcome. I find a great label, Target Mighty, that supports me. I have a lot of great friends, producers, musicians, and people are digging it. So this year, 2020, being what it is, unfortunately, we had, let's just say I put enough time last year, 19, that I started getting invited to festivals and headline, you know, here, headline there. And uh, uh, it, it kind of came to a screeching halt right now because of it. But we're going to pick up in 2021. The album, I'm trying to find ways to finish the album right now, which the working title 
It's not official, but it's taken to the limit. That's the working title. And so hopefully it'll come out sometime in the beginning of 2021. So stay tuned to MarcoMendoza.com. And uh, like I say to everybody, man, you know, try to be kind to each other, make a difference in your circles of life. And if you ever feel like you need help, and if there's a question mark that you might have trouble with drug abuse or alcohol abuse, there's a lot of vehicles out there to help you out. You just have to reach out. That's the beginning of my sobriety was when I surrendered to the fact that I had a problem and I started reaching out for help and then my life changed, you know? Uh, but uh, back to the music, it's been a great run, great journey. Definitely surpassed my all my expectations. You know, I'm, I'm playing with some of the best bands on the planet, hanging out with the best musicians. It's been a beautiful ride, man. So I like to talk about the attitude of gratitude. When I'm in a good place, you know, the attitude of gratitude uh, uh, is just abundant, you know, in my heart, my spirit. And then the rest is uh, is cake, you know. Life becomes more simple when when I'm in that spot. Life is definitely a cake and hopefully there are simple times ahead and if you're affected by anything you've heard by Marco, please do check out talktofrank.co.uk. What an amazing guy Marco is and it's amazing that a rock star can also go through things like that and come out the other side and he is just incredible i'm so pleased he came on the podcast this week to talk and give you an insight into sobriety you've been listening to security and secure with me johnny seifert again if you've liked what we had please do like the podcast please do share the podcast with your friends and please do give it a nice little comment i can't make this podcast successful without your help i've been johnny seifert thank you so much for listening until next time thank you and goodbye Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowlin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowlin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlinBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.